Welcome to TJ Frog's podcast, where I chat about my knitting, dorset buttons and creativity in general, as well as sharing my love of Scotland, especially the Highlands and Islands. Hello, I'm Tanya, aka TJ Frog, or sometimes called the Button Lady. And in my creative business, I predominantly make and promote the traditional craft of dorset buttons, which dates back to the early 1600s, a cottage industry that employed many people in Dorset on the south coast of England. Brought up in Dorset, I now live on the Isle of Skye, and wherever you may be in the world, welcome and thank you for joining me for my 38th episode, Creating Time. January. What a month, hey? January blues, dry January, winter clean, fresh start, New Year's resolutions, and the list could go on and on. Personally, I think it's one of those months that we all find our own way of moving through. And it got me thinking about time. If you listen to last month's episode and the interview with Carly, we talked about her blog, which is called How Time Goes Faster As We Get Older. And I've definitely been working this month quite proactively on managing my time differently. So it feels like I've made myself extra time, which of course we all know is not actually possible. (laughs) What I've done is created time from the daily time allocation that we have. And with that, I can now spend more time doing the things I love doing, which is a great feeling. And since this is the second podcast episode of January 2023, I've been focused on using my time wisely and what I can deliver to you. Therefore, this is an abbreviated version of my usual format. There isn't an interview, although hopefully still lots for you to enjoy listening to. For this episode then, I'll be covering the weather. Has it improved much since I told you about soggy sky in 2022? Creativity. I chat a bit about how I've created time for myself and you can find out how I've got on with my projects since the beginning of January, as well as some new projects on the horizon. Dorset buttons and wider news from the TJ Frog pad. I give you an update on 2023 news. And the Sky Focus. I bring your attention to a couple of resources where you can find out more about what's going on in Sky and daily news and also about some walks if you're planning a trip here or you're just genuinely interested in Sky as a place. The weather. There's been times this month where I feel we've moved from soggy sky to saturated sky. Yep, the rain has continued on. (laughs) And it's not really looking like it's going to give up. Uh, The week ahead, the forecast is not good. High winds and more and more rain. Amongst the rain, though, we did have a little episode of snow And I've said this before on the podcast, usually being so close to the sea and with the updraft of the Gulf Stream, snow doesn't hang around particularly long for us. But this time it went on for a week and it just kept coming, even when it wasn't forecast to. It certainly beat the amount of snow that we had prior to Christmas. It looked amazing. It just lit up the whole of the landscape, really showing off all the textures of the hills in quite a dramatic way. 
at sunrise on a couple of days, the snow glowed pink. And on a couple of mornings where there was complete cloud cover, everywhere took on this blue tone. It's the biggest thing I love about winter is the different light colours that you get. In the summer, the light is harsher, brighter. But in the winter, we just get so much more depth and variety of colour. I did manage to get out of our little corner of sky one day with the snow and I was driving up to Broadford conscious that I'd literally seen a couple of people out walking their dogs and I'd only seen a couple of trade vehicles. The schools were also closed as were quite a few businesses. I had to stop off on the main road to brush off some snow from the back window and as I was about to get back into the car I realised that I was there on my own on this really long straight stretch of the A road surrounded by all the hills and the mountains in the distance with all this amazing snow on and it was just so still and cold and fresh and it's not often that there's that total stillness up here where you're not hearing anything you know animals or weather And with the sun shining and the snow glistening, I just stopped and I breathed it all in. And I just felt so fortunate to have this moment to myself where I was just immersed in this immense snowy landscape. And I took a very short video and I'll put that onto the show notes for you to see. While it was stunning to look at, it was treacherous underfoot. The gritters were certainly kept busy that week and although we do get them down our way, they don't come down all the time. In the winter though, we do have big piles of grit that are left dotted along the side of the road so you can jump out of your car with your spade and uh, basically do it yourself. (laughs) Grit the road yourself. That's just the norm along here. In fact, I saw one of my neighbours do it. They had come out and the wheels were just spinning on the snow. So uh, they did exactly that. Spayed out the boot of the car, went over to the grit pile, threw some grit under the four wheels and off they went. Every year, the public can submit suggestions for names for their Scottish gritters. And they usually have some reference to snow or ice or, you know, that general overall theme. And quite often they're inspired by TV or films, as well as celebrity names. For example, Snowing Me, Snowing You. I'm sure many of you will know what that's inspired by. The ABBA song, Knowing Me, Knowing You. Sleetwood Mac from Fleetwood Mac. Cold Finger from the Bond movie, Gold Finger. Hopefully you get the gist. There's even a website where you can track all the gritters by their name. I did enjoy having the snow around, as I say, it just shows off the landscape in such a different dramatic way. It's great though if you don't have to go anywhere or you just want to go for a little bimble, but if you need to get out in your car, it's a bit more difficult. Back now then, as I say, to the rain and the wind. The days are getting longer though. And the light is changing, even if waking up at seven o'clock in the pitch black feels like it's still three o'clock in the morning. I was at the beginning of the month leaving work at 4.30 in the dark and now there's a different feeling. The light is just on the edge of fading when I leave work now. 
it feels like there's this extra time in the day, time to do more things in daylight rather than actually in the dark. It feels like the day is making, creating time for me and that makes me feel more invigorated. Does anyone else feel like this as the light changes with the seasons? I've been checking in on the sunrise and sunset times and it's pretty much been changing between two and three minutes either end of the day and we're definitely noticing it despite the not particularly good weather. <laughs> okay I'm gonna have to talk to you about spiders again. I really wasn't anticipating this after I finished recording the last episode and this is quite weird what happened. After I'd recorded the last episode I sat down on our sofa typing up the show notes. Out of the corner of my eye I got this brief movement on the side armrest. Now we've got a black sofa and this is in the corner of the room, low lighting so you know quite quite dim and remember the spiders I was last telling you about that are in the house at the moment are these really jet black spiders. I very quickly jumped up convinced that this brief movement that I'd seen was one of these spiders. I couldn't see anything though on the black sofa armrest in the dim light. I looked all around the cushioned seat where it meets the armhole and I convinced myself to sit back down. My husband was sat next to me and he, I could tell, was not totally convinced that I'd seen anything and I tried to tell myself that I probably was imagining it. It was just they were in my head because I'd just been talking about them on the podcast. I carried on typing up the show notes and then again this time on top of the armrest with just a small glint on it from the light of the wood burner and yes it was one of the black spiders and then it was gone <laughs> as quickly as it came it was gone again in a flash and these spiders are probably only about a centimeter in diameter but that speed just disturbs me fortunately my husband was quick out of his seat he found it and removed it I did eventually sit back on the sofa trying to put to the back of my mind that the rest of the spider's family was probably living elsewhere in the recesses of the sofa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's hope that next time there is no spider talk on the podcast. Creativity. I've been creative with my time this month and I've been trying to find different ways of working on and in my business, working on those house projects that never seem to get done, as well as all the day-to-day -day house stuff that requires attention and ultimately freeing up more time to spend doing my own non-work creative projects. And I've been spending odd days throughout the month using a tried and tested method Pomodoro time. I'm sure many of you will have heard it and you may even have used it yourselves. Apparently the Pomodoro technique was created by Francesco Cirillo as a time management tool and there's a website with a whole plethora of information on it, courses that you can do and books all about it and the link will be in the show notes. I'm just taking one aspect of it, the idea to work smarter yet not harder using intervals of time, usually 25 minutes where you then have a short break in between. 
You might well know the word Pomodoro from Pomodoro tomatoes. And apparently Cirillo used a tomato shape kitchen timer as a student. And that's where the name came from to set time sections to study and focus. I have found that 20 minutes works better for me. And what I do is I set the alarm on my phone and then I just go full on, full focus with pace to whatever task I've set myself. The most I do other than the task in hand is take sips of my water, notwithstanding, of course, if, you know, I have to answer the doorbell or there's some really unexpected distraction that's outside of my control. But hopefully you get the gist that it's all about that particular task and not getting distracted by anything else. And what I do is when I get to the end of that 20 minutes and the alarm goes off, if I am on a roll and I'm nearing the end and I particularly want to get it finished, I will just hit the repeat button on the stopwatch. But that's quite rare. And if I've hit it, then I don't hit it again. I'll definitely take a break after the second one. But what I've personally found is these 20 minute slots, I like the change in focus and pace Even if I get up from my chair, I walk into another room, I go and make a cup of tea or I go up the stairs to collect something and back down the stairs. And just this movement of body really helps my energy to then get back into focus for the next 20 minutes, whatever that 20 minutes might be, whether it's 20 minutes looking at my Instagram account, 20 minutes doing the dishes, um, 20 minutes ironing, 20 minutes going through emails and just 20 minutes on each task, totally focused on that task without distraction and the reward of a bit of knitting at the end really does help me get that particular task done. And I found that I can get an immense amount done and I wish that I'd kept a record also on the days that I've done it of how many times I went up and down the stairs. (laughs) It certainly helped my fitness and is helping to improve my energy levels too. I can't sustain working this way every day. It's certainly something though that I'm going to put into my life, especially when I have a lot of things that I need to do or I'm struggling to focus on particular tasks such as the tax return (laughs) or as the case has been or the ironing pile. 20 minutes just feels so much more achievable with that real sense of focus and urgency and determination to get as much done as I can. I'm almost being competitive with myself. And what I found is because I've kind of created this competitive um, sense of urgency, I seem to have helped my energy levels. It's quite hard to explain, but yeah, it's working for me. (laughs) Have you heard of the concept of eat that frog, which is detailed in the book by Brian Tracy? This is also a great tool for getting a task done that you least want to do or something that you're really procrastinating over for some reason. And what I found in the past is if I do put that particular task off, then I actually find it takes up lots of my headspace throughout the day. And then what happens is it takes my energy and I'm less efficient on other things because I'm thinking about that dreaded task that's going to be challenging in some way or difficult or just you know some particular task that's not really my skill set and I'd rather not be doing it and of course while I'm thinking about it all day it just drags me down 
and makes me more tired and I'm just not as effective or as efficient with my time. Have any of you ever felt like this? I hope there's some of you out there who can associate with me on this and that I'm not alone. The Eat That Frog concept is based on a quote by Mark Twain who said, if the first thing you do each morning is to eat a live frog, you can go through the rest of the day knowing the worst is behind you, i.e. the task you're putting off is the frog. Therefore, just get up and do it first. Eat it straight away. In the past, I've actually used this from time to time if I've been putting something off and I've found it's it's a good way to kind of give myself a talking to, to say to myself, eat that frog, just eat it, do it. And it's worked for me. I have certainly found as well that I'm much more of a morning person now than I ever used to be. Certainly something that's um, changed with my menopausal body. I was always the, the night owl and I'm totally the morning lark now. So mornings are definitely better for me at getting stuff done. And if I can get that task done that's the most awkward or the one I dislike the most done first, then it really does make me feel much better for the, the day ahead. I just find then I feel good because it's done, it's out the way and everything else just feels so much less onerous and I've got more energy to do them and I'm probably quicker, more efficient and hence more time for myself. If you've got any tools or techniques that you use to create time for yourself in the day, I'd really love to hear about them. Do drop me a line. Still on the concept of time then, there's nothing like giving yourself a deadline and announcing it to the world that you're going to do a second podcast in the month with the intention that uh, you're going to move forward with projects. And then as you settle down to think about your episode, you realise that you haven't made any progress on that one thing that you have a block about. Yes, blocking. <laughs> blocking is totally my frog and I really should get my head around this. Get up and do my blocking straight away. As I say, I was settling down to put this episode together and I thought I just cannot face coming on here saying that I have done nothing. So a couple of days before recording, I got the blocking mats out and I got one shawl, the Stephen West shawlography that has now been blocked and there is photographic evidence of it in the show notes on the website. <laughs> so how come I hadn't done this sooner? Yeah, one, it's back to the fact that I'd always rather be knitting with any free time that I have. So I usually reach for the needles. Yes, it's that frog. It's that frog that needs eating. It's that difficult, challenging task that really doesn't interest me. Secondly, I realised I was also making excuses to myself and the excuse I was using was the plumber. <laughs> Our heating's not working downstairs and we've been waiting on the plumber to come. And finally, he said he would come and he gave us a couple of days when he'd be round. As I block in the room where he was going to need to spend most of his time, I convinced myself that if all the blocking mats were out on the floor, it would be very inconvenient for him. Of course, I could move them when he came, but no, I had this as an excuse. And then the plumber didn't turn up. <laughs> and we now await new dates for when he can come. And that was when it hit me that I just couldn't use the plumber as the excuse anymore. I sprung into action. I wish I'd actually timed how long the process took. It must have been less than 10 minutes. 
I think the longest bit of blocking is actually the drying, which let's be honest, we don't have to be there for that. We're not active in that part. I now have the other shawl to block, the linen shawl. There will be an update in the next episode. The Belmont cardigan remains in its project bag, but it's now progressed to being on my desk. So all is not forgotten. It's in sight. My fingers have been clicking away rapidly at the Debbie Abrahams Mystery Blanket 2017 in a bid to try and get as much of that done before the 2023 one arrives. I was on the 11th square out of 49 in the last episode and I'm now on the 29th one, which I'm pretty pleased about. Those of you who've done any of Debbie's mystery blankets or cushions will know these are not quick squares. They are made up of a series of techniques such as ferrule, intarsia, bubbles, knots, slip stitches, lace. And you might have three or more of these techniques in one square. So they take quite a bit of time to do. I've yet to sew buttons onto the ones I've knitted or do any Swiss darning or tie up the bubbles. However, the aim at the moment is just to try and get as much knitting done before the 2023 one arrives and the sewing up and all those extra bits can be done in slow time. There's been the Royal Mail cyber attack which has impacted international shipping. So Debbie has delayed the start of the mystery blanket so that everybody hopefully will get their parcels at a similar time so we can all start together. And for me, I'm actually quite pleased about this because it's given me a few extra days to get some more of those remaining squares knitted up. It's not long now till I make my way to New York for Vogue Live Knitting and I said I'd tell you about the workshops I've booked myself on. Firstly, I have a full day class with Cecilia Campo-Chiaro called Riffs on Sequence Knitting. I saw a lecture by Cecilia on sequence knitting a few years ago and I was fascinated by the technique of taking a sequence of stitches, for example, knit to, purl to, yet changing the rules as to how you work with them, such as working the sequence independent of the number of stitches in the row. So you continue the sequence from where you left off in the previous row, which would look very different if you had a swatch of rows with an even number of stitches, which is what we're used to doing with a knit to purl to. Or if you had a swatch of rows with an odd number of stitches and you then ended up carrying on that purl one or knit one at the beginning of the next row. I've got Cecilia's book, Sequence Knitting, Simple Methods for Creating Complex Fabrics. And I'm looking forward to diving into this class and learning more about the possibilities of making these fabrics. I'm doing Make the Most Out of Short Rows with Vera Valamaki. I love short row shaping and I'd really like to feel confident about putting them into a couple of ideas I have. So I'm hoping to pick up some nifty techniques in this workshop. Finally, I'm doing Mastering Two Colour Fisherman's Rib with Mina Philip. And this is a technique which I have dipped into very briefly before many, many years ago. So I'm looking forward to revisiting this. I'm going to be hanging out in the marketplace on the Saturday. And as I mentioned last time, if you're going to be there, do send me a message. It would be great to have the chance to say hello. One more thing for me on the knitting front this month, I purchased Stephen West's ebook on sock knitting. You get an initial pattern, which is the painted bricks socks. And then you get a new pattern each month. So painted bricks, some of you who follow Stephen West will be aware that there was the painted bricks shawl. And so a lot of the stitch patterns that he's used in his shawls are in the socks. 
And I've only ever knitted one pair of socks, which were some bed socks for my nan years ago. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck into these, although as yet I haven't actually started them because I kind of easily feel they could become a new addiction. And my focus at the moment, as I said, is on finishing that mystery blanket. <laughs> although thinking about it, a sock could be just the right size project for taking on the plane to New York. Although I might chance taking my sleeve for the eyelay jacket. This time I will definitely be keeping it with me in my hand luggage in case my luggage in the hold decides to stay on holiday longer than me. I've mentioned previously that I work for a textile charity as a craft workshop tutor for vulnerable adults. And from time to time, we teach additional open workshops and I'm scheduled to do one in February. And where possible, we try and use materials and resources that we already have. We get many donations of textiles and crafting materials. And I've still yet to discover everything that we have or indeed even use some of what we have got. We did find in a recent sort out that we have a number of felted jumpers. I'm not sure of their history, whether they were donated in this state or if it was done in-house at some point. However, it got me thinking how we could use these and I started cutting pieces up and hand-stitching them together. I'm a bit of a lover of blanket stitch and as many of you will know, this is one of the main stitches used in the Dorset buttons. And so I started using yarn that we've got to decorate edges or use them to actually join edges together. And I just found it really therapeutic and I hope that the people coming along are going to enjoy it too. So all is not lost if you find that you felt a jumper accidentally or someone in your family does, it can be upcycled. Finally, thank you to all of you who got in touch after being inspired by Carly's creative sabbatical. Many of you seem to have found ways to challenge your own making and the concept of setting boundaries gave much to think about. Dorset Buttons and the wider news from the TJ Frog Pad. The online shop, which has been closed throughout January, is now open for business again. Unfortunately, there's been some glitches behind the scenes with the website and my email marketing software. So there's been a delay in getting new products listed and newsletter updates. So this is going to take a bit longer. As with all technology, it's great when it works, but it's a real pain when it doesn't. And it can be extremely time consuming and frustrating trying to track down the issues. It did get to the point where I started to think, should I just totally change my whole setup and providers of various software packages? However, for the time being, we've persisted and big thanks to the TJ Frog staff, aka Hubby, who has spent many hours sorting everything out. On that note, if you've not already signed up for the newsletter and you'd like to get first knowledge of new products, some of which attract newsreader discounts, please do sign up and you will find the link on the website. And you can also manage what you would actually like to receive, whether that be the newsletter or blog posts or the podcast posts. I also have some new Dorset Button earrings and brooches which will be on the Highland Hiddle website very soon. This is an online marketplace which showcases work from makers across the Highlands and Islands. And there's some amazing products on there. So it's a great place to browse through if you're looking for some gifts. And again, there's a link in the show notes to this. 
The Yorkshire Yarn Festival on the 4th and 5th of March is fast approaching. It's at a new venue, the Sandburn Hall Hotel in Flaxton, which is located between York and Moulton off the A64. There's approximately 38 vendors and there are workshops as well, which you can do. There's brioche, round yoke, sweaters, colour work, punch needle and embroidery. And there's also a craft night on Friday with unwind knitwear and another one on Saturday night with Jane Crowfoot. Vendors are going to be located over two floors and there is a lift between the two floors and the venue also has good parking. If you are thinking of coming along, entry is by advance ticket only. There'll be no tickets available on the door on the day and tickets for Saturday have almost sold out. So you need to get one quick if that's the day that you're thinking of coming along. By the time this show comes around, it will be four months since I did a show and I'm really looking forward to getting back out there and meeting up with many of you. On to the Sky Focus. I thought I'd let you know about a couple of online programmes where you can see and hear more about Sky. If you're wanting a piece of Sky News or some Scottish, Celtic or traditional music and stories from across Scotland, alongside wider topics, then dipping into Radio Sky might be of interest to you. There's a link in the show notes to the website and it can be accessed internationally via a web stream through all major radio apps. And if you're not too exhausted by listening to me, then on a Monday between 2 and 3pm, you can tune in to hear my voice on the West Highland Free Press audio show, where you can hear the latest news stories from our local employee-owned paper. The next link I wanted to bring your attention to, unfortunately, only applies to those of you living in the UK, as it's about a programme on BBC called Take a Hike. I still decided to include it, though, as I think the information I'm giving is about places on Sky and they might be of general interest to you to either add to your list as somewhere to visit when you come to Sky or just somewhere that you might want to look up online because you're just genuinely interested about places in and around Sky. Take a Hike runs for five days in a location in the UK where five different people who live there lead a walk and they all have to mark each other on their walk and their hosting skills and at the end of the week the person with the most points wins a £500 voucher for outdoor gear. In the second series, you'll find Sky in episodes 6 to 10, and you can catch up um, with these on BBC iPlayer, and they're available for 11 months. And I won't spoil your fun by giving away the winner. To be honest, I'm not particularly interested in the competitive side of the programme, although I did enjoy seeing the walks and all the little extras that uh, everybody threw in along the way to try and get themselves some extra points as uh, hosts. Most of the walks I knew something about and I had done parts of some of them. Interestingly, two of them took in beaches, which I only went to for the first time during COVID when we were allowed to venture out a bit further from the house on the island before tourists um, came back to the island. So we were fortunate to go to these beaches and practically be the only people there for most of our visit. The first walk started at Dunvegan Castle on the north of the island, which is the ancestral home of the Clan MacLeod and somewhere I've yet to visit. <laughs> 
Each year before fully opening for the season in April, they open for three days in February when the snowdrops come out. And this year, I really hope to get along. The walk that they then took from the castle goes to Coral Beach. And this is a stunning beach and it's a very popular tourist spot. The white sand, which is actually not white sand or even coral, but it's uh, like a dried and bleached algae seaweed. It really stands out against the colour of the sea and the land. We had an amazing time when we went there. And as I say, most of our trip, we were the only people on that beach. It was only at the end of our trip that some other people arrived. And I'd really love to go back to it one day. The other beach on the programme is Ashaig, which is in South Sky. I was always aware of this beach, but I only found how to actually access it in 2020. It is a vast beach at low tide and it's the best time to visit it. You do have to cross water and land to get onto the, the beach, so it is best to, to go at low tide. It has fantastic views, though, over towards the bay and the mainland. And it's a great beach for letting a dog go running on and for taking a paddle. Loch Kurisk is a walk which is reached by a boat from Elgol. And this is a fantastic trip if you're on Sky looking for somewhere to go. And it's also a very popular trip out for weddings. Slickigan is the point on the island where the main roads meet between the northeast, northwest and south. And there's a variety of walks from there, walking into the foothills of the Coolin. I've not done the particular walk that was shown on the programme, although I've done sort of the first little step of it. And this is certainly one that's really top on my list to do. Lastly, the walk that I've not done any of is the northerly most tip of the Trochanese Peninsula up on the north of Skye called Ruahunish. And you're up there on the sea cliffs. And that looked amazing, albeit it might challenge my vertigo a little bit. <laughs> I'm really pleased to say that my energy levels are finally on the up after COVID last year. And I'm managing a short walk regularly now without needing to go to sleep afterwards. I'm not quite ready for these walks, but I'm looking forward to trying some of them out in the time that I've created for myself. And lastly, something else which might be of interest on iPlayer, there's a series of programmes called Loop and then Shorts. And they literally are short programmes, some of them a couple of minutes long. And they're predominantly about people and their lives. And there's one called The Family from Sky Turning Waste Plastic into Art. And this is about a couple who live in the next community to me. They go out in their boat collecting plastic and in particular plastic buoys or as they call them buoys and Donna then paints them and sells them from a hut that they've put up on the roadside which is called Scouting for Boys. It's only eight minutes long but it's an interesting snapshot into their life here on Sky. That's it then for the second episode of January 2023. Last year I only managed one episode all year. I will not be doing two episodes per month going forward. It will just be the one. But it finally feels that the energy is back there for them. And I've created more time for myself. Good luck with creating time for yourself too. And let me know how you get on. I hope you'll join me again at the end of February. 
In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch, either drop me a line at tanya at tjfrog.co.uk or via the contact page on the website or on Facebook and Instagram as tjfrogsky. The music is by Ron Paintant and is licensed from Melody Loops and called One Frog for a Prince. Bye for now. Until next time. <laughs>